The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Gonna put some butts in the seat. Self high five. Woo! We've been hanging and banging, brother. You're next. Watch Real Monsters go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. My name is Cy, and joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Danny, how are we doing, my friend? Really well this week, mate. How's yourself? Yes, very good, very good. Well, apart from, again, still battling this cough and this sore throat that seems to have been lingering with me for a, a few weeks now. It's getting quite irritating, to be honest, but we will power through. We will power through. We will, we will. Uh, this week's episode of Nitro Nights, we are looking at the Monday Nitro that first aired on the 16th of September, 1996. It's the four from four brawl, I suppose you could say. Uh, it came to us from Asheville, North Carolina. The Nitro itself on this particular Monday evening did a very respectable 3.7 in the television ratings, whereas Monday Night Raw, which was pre-recorded for this particular week, did a 2.1. So there's quite a gap this week, Danny, isn't there? Yeah, we're definitely seeing the uh, momentum uh, shift. We really are. Yeah, and I think when you compare the two shows, uh, as as we do in, in this kind of opening couple of segments of Nitro Nights each week, I think you can see why. I mean, we're going to break down and talk about this particular episode of Nitro in a few moments, but you have lots of stuff going on with the NWO. It looks cool. It's got the cruiserweights. The, the, there's various different stories happening on the show. There's a lot there to sort of, you know, there's a lot of meat on the bone with Nitro. But when I recap that particular edition of Monday Night Raw that aired on Monday, September 16th, 1996, I mean, if I just run down the card, Danny, I normally do. Yep. It, here, here's what they put up against this this, this uh, episode of Nitro with promise of new members and all sorts of stuff going on. And the drama of the Sting issues the previous night from 4 Brawl. Uh, Raw opened with the Sultan making his debut defeating jake roberts yep jake roberts in 96 defeating jake roberts with the camel clutch after just over three minutes uh, bob holly and alex porto if i've read that correctly defeated the smoking guns with a roll-up 
The Intercontinental Title Tournament continued. Uh, the set one semi-final on the show was Mark Miro defeating Owen Hart uh, after putting the cast off Owen's arm and hitting him with it. That was nine minutes or so there. Um, around this time on the show, Jim Ross, who had left ringside earlier in the show, returned with Pat Patterson, who verified Jim Ross's claims to having Diesel and Razor Ramon on the show next week. And he said he would be a guest referee for the tournament final the following week. Grilla Monsoon, who was the WWF president at the time, argued that uh, Jim Ross is misleading the audience because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash will not be appearing on Raw. I suppose that's their way of covering their ass against being sued, Danny, potentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can see where they were trying to almost copy WCW with the lead of uh, with the promise of um, something next week with this. Mm. Yes, and... The last contest on this episode of Raw, we had Farouk defeating Psycho Sid via disqualification when Sid hit Farouk with a chair. And that was the other semi-final for the Intercontinental Championship. So, I mean, trail end of 96, well, not trail end, I suppose, you're sort of two-thirds of the way through 96. There's no Bret Hart on television. There's no Shawn Michaels on television. Uh, Austin isn't Austin yet. The Rock isn't The Rock yet. We've got people like the Sultan and Jim Roberts. I saw Jake Roberts and you know Bob Holly featured in tag team um, action and so on. It, it, it's completely, it's a completely different vibe and feeling, isn't it, to what we're watching on Nitro each week? Yeah, it really is, mate. I mean, to compare, our opening contest on this episode of Nitro is Rey Mysterio defending the Cruiserweight title against Huberto Guerrera. And I mean, we'll get to what happened before the match in a moment, but we, we may as well start with this now, seeing as, seeing as I just brought it up. I mean, this match is, is full of high-flying Cruiserweight action, as you would imagine. We have Huberto Guerrera hitting um, a spectacular DDT and a real snap, quick effort into a fallaway slam. Um, there's a springboard which is countered into a drop kick by Rey Mysterio. Flying head scissors on the outside, an acai moonsault to the floor by Hubertu Guerrera. A springboard back into the ring which was then turned into a 450 splash. Um, there's a power bomb from the top rope which Rey Mysterio counters in midair into a head scissors or a Frankensteiner for the win. It's it's pretty spectacular for a TV match just on a random Monday night. You compare that to how Raw started, and you had the Sultan, who we know about the Sultan character and his athletic ability and so on, taking on Jake Roberts for three minutes in 1996. Neither guy would have been, well, neither guy would have left their feet. Neither guy would have been moving particularly quickly. Neither guy particularly that athletic. The comparisons are, you know, it's just night and day to me. Yeah. Yeah, it really is, mate. Um, what, as you was reading the results there, one thing really stood out to me. It would be Psycho Sid in an Intercontinental uh, Championship tournament. That just seems misplaced. I mean, I, when you think of the Intercontinental belt, you don't think Psycho Sid, do you? No, no. Especially in 96, because we know that he's going to go on to the Survivor Series yeah. in 96 and win the world title. And hold that through to the Rumble in '97, and so I mean, and Sid as well is what? What is he? Six, seven, six, eight, three hundred yeah. pounds. And now, don't get me wrong. I know times are different now, but back when I was younger, 
in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, and then I suppose going into this period, the IC belt, to me, was always like the workers' title. The guys like Sean and Brett held it, the smaller guys who could put on better matches. Mr. Perfect springs to mind. Sid doesn't fit that that mould at all, does he? No, not at all. But then again, I suppose he was beaten by Farouk. Farouk doesn't fit that mould either. <laughs> no, sadly not. <laughs> Very odd one. Uh, as I said, Rey Mysterio successfully defends his Cruiserweight title in that match. Uh, Danny, have you got anything to add to, to that contest? What did you think of it as an opener and so on? Well, the biggest thing, um, possibly the biggest thing announced on Nitro uh, during this match, we get the announcement of something you texted me earlier today. Glacier will be making his Nitro debut in the ring tonight, wouldn't he? So... You've got the cruiserweight champion of the world. You've got Hubertude Guerrera. You've got all this flying around, incredible action. And what you took away from it is you're finally going to get to see Glacier debut. Yes. <laughs> you knobhead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it was a really good match. And um, we had like a, I was quite surprised that we got a commercial break in this, especially for it being the opener um and yeah there was just a lot of great match uh, a lot of great moves in this and um i think the one that stood up for me was the amazing frankensteiner um that uh, ray mysterio hit on um Hoovy just before they went to the break oh, i think yes. it was to the outside yes he comes off the top rope doesn't he and um yeah it's the whole exchange he, he kind of sends Hoovy to, to to the outside and then runs at him and does effectively what will become the 619 through the ropes. Yeah. Doesn't hit him. He kind of stops himself because Hoovy's moved, spins back into the ring, runs the ropes again, springboards to the top, goes to the outside from the top rope into a head scissors. Why? Just unbelievable. Rey Mysterio in 96 is insane. Yeah, he really is. Very, very good opener indeed. I suppose we ended up having uh, an advert, uh, an ad break in the show because uh, I mean, these things are timed to come on and happen at you know, roughly the same sort of time each week. The, the episode of Nitro doesn't begin straight away with the contest, does it? We have quite a long, um, not promo package, but quite a long, I suppose, opening with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco on commentary. They recap all the stuff from War Games on the Sunday night. Uh, they, and Tony openly apologizes to Sting, you know, and and says that he was wrong about pointing the finger at Sting and saying Sting has joined the NWO. And that becomes a running theme throughout this episode of Nitro. But I mean, the recap of uh, War Games from Sunday night is obviously very important to their show. They're trying to sell the encore presentations later in the week. Something that's very important to our show is finding out what went on in WCW the other day of that particular weekend when we have a little look with Scottish Danny's recap of what happened on Saturday night. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, take it away, my friend. Beautiful transition. I was wondering when you was gonna, how you was going to get there. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> Saturday night, um, quite a monumental uh, episode, which... Um, yeah, it was I, quite I, I think I think you're you're using a wrong word there. When you <laughs> monumental. Convince me how monumental this is. <laughs> well, on Saturday night we had the Nasty Boys defeating High Voltage in the opener. We okay. also had Rick Steiner defeating Kurosawa, who we haven't seen in a in a while. 
No, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah, we had uh, Lex Luger defeating Ron Studd in a match that I would be shocked if it went over a minute. Did he rack him? That's the big thing. Oh, I need to go back and see if yeah, he did. Yeah, we need to find out if that happened. I, I, yeah. I hope he managed. To, I hope he managed to rack him. Yeah, that would be an amazing visual. And in our main event, we had Diamond Dallas Page defeating Jim Duggan by disqualification. Yeah, I'm not sold, mate. I'm not sold. <laughs> Sorry, but no. <laughs> Maybe next week. <laughs> Maybe next week. You can have another go then. You can have another go then. Uh, the, the opening of this episode of Nitro was also peppered with stuff to do with the NWO. Uh, we have the NWO, I suppose, fans were told, but they're obviously plants. Uh, people outside the arena or, or in the entranceway, the foyer to the arena, in NWO shirts, handing out um, pamphlets and leaflets and propaganda, as Larry Zbysko keeps saying on commentary. And some people are taking it, some people are happy, some people are ripping it up, some people are just ignoring them. It's quite a mix there of what's going on. And also during the match itself, we have uh, an NWO I suppose, party outside. There's people with NWO signs and shirts drinking beer. And we're told by Tony Schiavone on commentary that the NWO fans are celebrating their victory from the previous night in war games. Uh, what did you think about the these opener, opening moments with regards to Tony and Larry Zbysko talking about war games, the NWO stuff all going on without seeing the NWO themselves, uh, and just, you know, this whole reaction to the previous night, Danny? I loved it because it just it came across as Tony Schiavone's really... Um, Sorry for this, for doubted Sting, and you can see he's trying to be very, very sincere. Um, and it, it just really is like, yeah, you have to go and see this, see what happened. Uh, and they spent, as you said earlier, they spent a fair bit amount of time uh, plugging this. And uh, but when we see the NWO Street team outside, it was like, okay, what what are they up to now? So it makes you think, what's going to happen later on in the show? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, Mike Tanay is then with Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael. And they they cut a bit of an interview talking about how they're cross with Sting. And they're also cross with Lex Luger because they let the horseman down and and so on. There's a lot of shouty stuff from Mongo, a bit of mumbling from Benoit. We find out that they're going to be facing Sting and Luger later in the show. But apart from that, I didn't really catch much of what they were trying to say, Danny. No, neither did I. But the highlight of this was the little scream that Mongo let out at the end. I really, oh, yeah. That really made me laugh. <laughs> he gets proper invested, doesn't he? He really goes yeah. for Yeah, for, uh, for all his faults in the ring, you can't, uh, can't criticise his dedication because he's oh, yes. really bringing it on the promos. Yes, without a doubt. Next up is, uh, I suppose, a promo of its own, I guess. We have a special look at Glacier. And this is the first time we're hearing Glacier actually talk. And he speaks through traveling thousands of miles to find the correct sensei to teach him all of his martial arts. And then in Japan, he has learned of some of the best pro wrestlers in Japan. And he's merged these two, uh, I suppose, fighting formats, potentially. These two techniques to create the the ultimate and higher version of, of both. And we have the usual kind of glacier vignette footage of him doing all the martial arts moves and the weapons and so on out on the ice but on this occasion we start seeing more of his 
his costume, his uh, mask and hat he's going to wear to the ring. And he talks a great deal across this this particular segment. I'm going to assume, Danny, because you are excited about Glacier anyway, I'm going to assume this got you more excited or did hearing him speak for the first time take away from what you were seeing? No, you assumed correct, firstly, right? Um, I was... I was happy with this whole segment, but I did think to myself, why won't, why didn't they kind of divide this little um, segment up into the weeks and then play a bit here, play a bit there for the next week uh, so we could get a, a little bit of understanding about him. But this went on for a fair bit of time, it, at least over five minutes, didn't it? It did. It did run for a fair few minutes, yes. Yeah, was they're yeah. really kind of... I mean, they're, they're hammering home as well, aren't they, that... Uh, Glacier's debut will be in hour two. Yeah. So I suppose by running this big promo package is trying to pique the interest to get people to hang around into the second hour. So I suppose yeah. from, from that standpoint, it makes sense. But I, I know what you mean. The Glacier promos that we've had for months now, it must be months, they're always the same. Yeah. So having this one that's new and different and uh, a different angle to the character as well, in a way, it intrigued me. Yeah, so it's it's that thing of I agree with you. Why didn't they do more slightly different? I suppose cost would come into it potentially, but why didn't they do more in a different way in the previous weeks? I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and also I was just wondering about. Um, I'm just happy about. Sorry about uh, they didn't give him some uh, stupid voice box like they did with Kane or something. They actually let him talk in his normal sort of like a Georgia accent he's got, isn't it? Can you imagine if he <laughs> if he had a voice box? My name is Glacier, or something like that, you know? Yeah, just, just a voice, a pitch changer during this, all going up and down, like ooh, something like that, <laughs> or something like uh, Mister Freeze from uh, Batman and Robin. Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Our next contest is Ice Train taking on Diamond Dice Page. I'm going to imagine this annoyed you, Danny, knowing your feelings on this sort of thing. But Paige doesn't get an entrance. No, he didn't. I was annoyed with that, especially coming off that brilliant match he had with Chavo Guerrero the night before. Um, but I will give a big shout out to WCW because first you have a Glacier promo, which went a fair bit of time, and then it transitioned straight into Ice Train. So we've got Glacier and Ice going together, <laughs> maybe a possible tag team. Maybe, mate. Maybe. I bloody hope not, but maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, this match is, well, it's something of nothing, really, I think. It, it seems kind of thrown together. I mean, there's no there's no story going into this. There's no, I, I can think of no pre- previous conflict or interaction between these two. I don't mind that. I mean, it's, it's effectively what you call a cold match, isn't it? I suppose it's just going in and having a match. I don't mind that sometimes. But the fact that we then don't get to see much of it kind of takes away from, it's very much an afterthought i think uh the match begins effectively with with ice train just displaying his power and and you know clotheslining a shoulder blocking page ddp eventually takes control by by jumping over the top rope and hanging ice train's throat over it before hitting a pretty spectacular top rope clothesline on his opponent and then we see more power moves from ice train there's a big belly to belly suplex and a bear hug into a slam uh, a quite impressive power slam but then we cut away to the merch stand, the WCW merchandise stand. And the NWO fans are taking over the merch stand, sectioning it off with tape and holding up signs that read, who wants this crap? 
What did you think of this? Loved it because it's doing exactly what NWO set out to do was to, to um, disrupt uh, WCW and cause havoc everywhere. And they really are. But with, with this match, there was something that really shocked me. At one point, Larry Sabisco, they, when um, us training DDP are in the middle of a match, um, Larry Sabisco just deadpan just goes, what happened to me and Gene? Oh, and yeah. <laughs> that shocked me because obviously um, growing up in w- watching mainly WWE, when someone is released or even suspended, they, the announcers never talk about um, the missing person at all. And you, your mind is just left to wonder or, or trail the dirt sheets or something like that. I was actually shocked that WCW addressed this, especially from what um, you explained to me last week. So, Yeah, I think by this stage, he's, he might have re-signed. Oh, he might, well, actually, I don't know, because no timeline-wise. Obviously, we're covering it a, a week apart, but timeline-wise, this is the next day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, maybe he had re-signed, but I've I'd, I'd probably got that wrong. I think it's far too quick a turnaround for that to be accurate. Maybe he was in negotiations still. But I suppose the difference is, first of all, the WWF, WWE, they've got a definite direction with regards to how they do everything. They are very much a case of this is what you can say, this is what you cannot say. If you go against this, you'll be in trouble, and so on. WCW's never really had that. And it seems to be a bit more freedom, I guess. Whether that's right or wrong, it depends on who the freedom is given to, I suppose. Scott Steiner, I'm looking at you. It's, It's that kind of scenario that, you know, people make certain comments or say something in conversation, you can imagine them getting bollocked for it on WWF television, as you said. Here, you've got the whole thing of who's joining the NWO, who's leaving, who's doing what. So it kind of fits, Sabisco asking what happened to Mean Gene, because Tony Schiavone then explains, well, maybe he's, he doesn't use these words, but he's kind of hinting at maybe he's joined the NWO as well. So I think it does, it does kind of work, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whilst we're looking at the merchandise stand, though, we're told the bell has rang in the ring, so we've missed the finish of the match we should be watching. And this doesn't quite make sense for me. Because, I mean, first of all, it's annoying and it's badly organised. This wouldn't happen on WWF TV. This wouldn't happen for a Vince McMahon show because it would be timed to perfection, slickly produced, and we would go back to the ring in time for the finish. So this would not happen. On the other side of the coin, it does make it feel real. It does make it feel like the two things are happening separate to each other rather than running on the same TV show. So that's quite a nice touch. But talking, I suppose, kayfabe now, talking, I suppose, storyline-wise, WCW don't want to give the NWO any attention. So why have we missed footage and the finish from a WCW contest in the ring on their TV program? Because cameras are focusing on what the NWO fans are doing. That didn't quite make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, that I completely see where you're coming from, mate. And it's like, I when I, when that happened, um, I was thinking, was there a mistake? Especially because the commentary goes dead for, I think, about forty seconds. Mm. And I was thinking, has something been edited out? Was, was there a mistake? Um, and then I kind of put it down to, is this more bullshit from um, Nick Patrick? More like shadiness? It was, yeah, it was a bit all over the place, this little finish. 
Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, eventually, we do get to see what happened. We do get to see the finish on a instant replay. And I, to be honest, I kind of wish they hadn't bothered because the finish itself, when I saw it, was absolute shite. <laughs> DDP. <laughs> it, again, it comes back to making sense for me. Page is in a full Nelson, which looks like it's Ice Train's finisher. And Theodore Long, who is the Ice Train's manager, is there on ringside with, with the towel again. Page, whilst he's in the full Nelson and getting ragdolled around, manages to grab hold of the towel and throw it in the ring. So even though Ice Train is the aggressor, Ice Train has his, op- his opponent in a submission move. Because the towel has come into the ring, that means Ice Train gives up. Weird. It's it's bollocks. It's I, I understand. I understand they're trying to tell this story uh, with with you know Teddy Long and uh, an ice train and the towel and the miscommunications and all this sort of stuff. I get that, and it's another stepping stone in the story for wherever they're planning on he- ending up. But it doesn't make sense. Not at all. From a sporting contest standpoint, that doesn't make sense. It's, it's bollocks. Weird. <laughs> it's absolute bollocks. Uh, what happens next, I'm a big fan of, though. We get a little clip of Conan talking about his upcoming match with Super Calo, And he's actually got with him the Mexican heavyweight title belt that has been referred to every time Conan has been on television since 1995 and, and way back when, when we were doing this uh, this project many, many months ago. We were always told he's the Mexican heavyweight champion. But there's never a title belt there. There's never any you know point of reference to him being a title holder anywhere. But this is the first time we see the AAA title, or in, in WCW's terms, the Mexican heavyweight title, Danny, isn't it? Yeah, I, I wrote out down that I bet I would have loved this because we get to see the championship belt. I couldn't see if his name was on it or not, though. Ah, no, I didn't catch that either. I don't know if they did have nameplates back then. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah it was, it quite clearly was the AAA title. So, yeah, that was a, that was a nice touch. We go to a break. We come back, and there's a shot of the crowd, Danny. Yeah. And there's there's a there's a new face sat in the audience. What were you thinking? I was shocked. Um, well, first off, I wanted that uh, Jim Morrison T-shirt that uh, he had on. <laughs> <because> <laughs> that yeah. Looked cool. Yeah. Um, loved this little segment because, but I also found that um, yeah, like I uh, know oh that's a, a little bit later on after the match, but yeah, yeah, um, that little segment where they show. Um, six pack is is quite. It keeps you hooked as well. It's like, okay, why is he here? I mean, a lot, maybe a lot of internet wrestling fans at this point would have known why he's there. But if you don't know about much about the what's going on backstage or anything like that, you're genuinely like, why is he here? Mm, yes, yes, very true. Um, we're we're of course referring to Sean Waltman. The uh, and we're told very clearly just because we don't want to get sued again, obviously, WCW state very clearly that is the uh, individual who used to be known as the one, two, three kid, formerly known as the one, two, three kid on WWF television. He has been released from that company. So they are really making that honestly, they couldn't be any more in your face with this if they wrote it on a on, on a on a clipboard and slapped you across the mush of it they are desperately trying to make sure that this everyone's aware this guy does not work for the wwf and he's just sat there and uh taking in the, taking in some of the matches it's quite an interesting uh quite an interesting reveal and as you said danny rightfully so it does make you think okay i'm gonna hang around to see what goes on here now yeah 
and I mean, thoughts on that that uh, Jim Morrison team? Was you a big fan of it? So? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm not a, I'm not a massive Doors fan. I think with a lot of music from around that time, it's it's either re- uh, it's either absolutely superb or it's drugged up nonsense. Yeah, there's no sort of middle ground. And Morrison was obviously a cool guy, and some of the stuff he did with the Doors and so on was very very good. But a lot of it I listen to, and I just think, yeah, I don't know whether I need to be off my tits to understand this. <laughs> but it doesn't tick the boxes for me. But hey, very successful band, each to their own. You know, different opinion. If everyone liked the same thing, the world would be a very boring place, wouldn't they? Yeah, so true, mate. Uh, so, Super Calo versus Conan for the AAA Championship. Um, we begin with, again, I suppose standard kind of cruiserweight-esque almost wrestling moves. Calo is in control for the early parts of the match. Um, he gets a crucifix pin attempt early on. Uh, some arm drags. Lots of dives to the outside. Uh, we also see a butterfly suplex off the top rope by Conan, which is pretty bloody impressive, to be fair. Um, Kano hits a head scissors off the top, but Conan ends up somehow landing on him. That looked quite uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a sent on to the outside, which is pretty dangerous as well. And then <laughs> Kano does a top rope drop kick or a missile drop kick, as they call it. But he does it from the top rope to the floor. I think this is something as straightforward as a drop kick. I, I say straightforward. I can't do it. I'm not saying it's easy before people start tweeting the show going, how dare you? Of course not. It's, it takes an incredible amount of effort. But it's not a move that takes as much effort, especially if you're coming off the top rope, as maybe some other moves in professional professional wrestling. But this guy makes this move look like the most incredible thing going. When he hits a drop kick off the top rope to the floor, that's yeah. spectacular, Danny, isn't it? I really is, mate. And the sound that it made as well. Also, just wow. Yeah, big time. Mm. Uh, eventually, we go back on in, into the ring. We're back on the inside. And we get an awkward-looking brain-buster effort from Conan uh, before he eventually wins with a variation of the power drop move that he uses. Uh, is there anything you want to add to this match, Danny? Or have we kind of pretty much covered everything? I, th- I just want to say, I think um, Super Calo's on like a major, um, I mean, he, he's gone three for three now where he's had some great matches and obviously that's down to the opponent as well. But I've really been impressed with this guy. Yeah. And the weird thing is for me, I don't remember him at all. <laughs> Bear in mind, I've seen all this before. I obviously remember Conan, Ray Stereo, the cruiserweights that are there now. I remember the cruiserweights that come in. I remember lots of the cruiserweight matches and, and the sort of influx of Japanese talent, Mexican talent, and so on. Don't remember Super Calo whatsoever. Oh. I've got no idea why. I don't know if he disappears in a couple of weeks or whatever. Because, again, I can't remember. So it's going to be intriguing to see, from, from my standpoint, where we go with this, this Super Calo character, Danny. Yeah, well, no spoilers, but I have a feeling he'll pop up on another WCW show, which I'll be reading about next week. Ah, okay. Maybe <laughs> then we will get closer to me getting tempted to watch a Saturday night. <laughs> uh, Tanae, then, Mike Tanae is uh, talking to Sean Waltman. And Sean Waltman is I, hes kind of acting quite quite nonplus about everything. He's kind of just like, oh, who won the match last night? I was on a plane trying to fly over here. Oh, the NWO won. Oh, drats, man, that sucks. It's obvious he's with the NWO. 
but we haven't had the confirmation yet. But what did you think about this with Waltman talking to Tanay? I think Mike Tanay came off as a prick on, in this segment. <laughs> <laughs> it was very rude as he just walked over and uh, it was kind of just like judging um, uh, one, two, three kids, Sean Waltman. But no, seriously, um, this did make you think, I mean, uh, it was like, yeah, where's he going to go? But, I mean, you kind of say that with a tongue-in-cheek and it's like, yeah, we obviously know where he is um, coming from. But, yeah, enjoyed this little bit. Yes, indeed. Something I enjoyed was seeing Brad Armstrong wrestle. He takes on Hugh Morris next in our next match. A bit of, Again, a bit of a throwaway TV contest, I suppose. But how good is Brad Armstrong? I think this guy is superb. Yeah, he really is. And I'm a massive fan of that jacket, too. <laughs> yes, indeed. I think that's the one Lex Luger wore in 93. Yeah, and uh, JBL uh, would adopt that later on. So who knows? I mean, it could, I, I hope it's the same jacket, to be honest. It, there's no way it is, but I really <laughs> hope it. I really hope it is, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> what stories that jacket could tell. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We... <sighs> We have the hour two countdown here as well. We're about to be going into the the, the latter hour of the show. Um, this match I, I enjoyed, but there's not masses really to talk about. It's relatively short. Uh, we have a moonsault by Hugh Morris, which leads to a very casual cover. And Brad Armstrong, surprisingly for me, gets a crucifix on his, his opponent, who is very relaxed in his cover, uh, and gets the surprise win. I think this was a little bit of an upset, really. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was a surprising result because um, we haven't seen this finish in quite some time on Nitro. I know we've seen it before, but um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this because I was thinking, oh no, they're really going to put Hugh Morris over Brad Armstrong. And then when Brad Armstrong counters and wins, I was like, yes. Yeah, there we go. Imagine how great Brad Armstrong would have been. And I'm not meaning to say this from any way, uh, trying to take the mick or be spiteful or anything like that. But if the guy on screen had a personality. Oh, yeah. Imagine. Yeah. He, oh, So good, mate. I mm. mean, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I hope he sticks around in WCW because I'm, I don't, if you say to me, what's your favorite Brad Armstrong match? I would have quite trouble uh, knowing which one to say. So I hope we do get to see him a lot in this run. Mine would, if I had to pick one off the top of my head now, there are others, but mine would probably be his Benoit match at Clash of the Champions. Um, we haven't covered it because it's before our time with Nitro Nights, but it's very, very good. Yes, actually, I think you've uh, suggested I watched that one time and I did. Uh, yeah, that was actually a really good match. I remember yeah. that. I mean, the guy is very talented, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a Brad Armstrong special sometime in the future. Yeah. Or, or maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike Tenay is then with Randy Savage in the aisleway conducting his mean gene duties for the evening and savage savage cuts a typical savage promo he's talking in riddles talking in circles and talking pretty much a load of nonsense but i still really bought into everything he was saying there's just yeah. something mesmerizing about the guy there is mate. and i just wrote down I really miss Mean Gene because Mike Tanay is, is doing his best. But uh, as I was saying last week, it just doesn't feel the same without Mean Gene being there holding the microphone. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, Tanay, I much prefer behind the commentary desk. Yeah. 
What happens next then, Danny? Oh, there's a certain counter that clicked over, I believe. Yes, we have a Scottish Daddy's Limo card, number 12. Okay. And it's the NWO piling out of the black limo, and they're all celebrating. And there is Fake Sting wearing an NWO shirt, and they're just all having a bit of a good time and a bit of a laugh at WCW. And I think that whereas this is very good, as is so much of what the NWO do of this show, it makes WCW look a bit, a bit geeky, a bit not as good, a bit, you know, it just makes them look uncool because the NWO are so cool and they're celebrating and laughing about how they outsmarted them. And you're like, yeah, it does make them look pretty dumb. It does make them look pretty daft. What, what did, what do you think at the moment, Danny, about the dynamic at the moment between the NWO as they're expanding their numbers, what they're doing on screen in comparison to some of the stuff we're seeing, I suppose from WC, I know it's all one roster, one show and all this sort of stuff, but splitting it into two, you've got the NWO group doing what they're doing, looking cool. They're entertaining. They're funny and they're outsmarting their opponents. And then you've got WCW who, and we're looking at people like, Big Bubba, we're looking at people like Scott Norton, we're looking at finishes with Ice Train and so on, with a towel and, and all this. What do you currently think about the, the dynamic between the NWO and WCW and where it seems to be heading at the moment? I'm enjoying it because it's all going back to story and um, it's sort of like where you have to show the NWO in a stronger light, especially after um war games so now you've said that i was i'm kind of thinking okay would wcw put on sort of like not bad finishes or anything like that but sort of make themselves look less important especially in hour one to make wcw uh the nwo more look more strong that's possibly what i'm thinking now okay yeah i see what you mean i see what you mean potentially uh, Savage, his work for the evening is not done, however. He's not just there to talk to Mike today. I nearly said Mean Gene then. That'll force a habit. That's fair. Uh, Savage also has a match, and he is taking on Scott Norton. Uh, the match starts in the aisle, and it's very fast action, brawling to begin with, before Norton uses his size and power to take control. And we're then told that lots of WCW talent are in Japan next Monday because Bischoff has arranged this kind of exchange or working agreement with new japan pro wrestling and they've had new uh, new japan guys over on wcw tv so now it's the other way around the wcw guys need to go over and wrestle for new japan which means next week on nitro there's only going to be a handful of wcw guys so i think we're already setting the scene for what could potentially happen next week danny aren't we we really are mate and that made me think oh wow so if you think WCW was um on the losing end now what will happen next week i think that was very very smart of them to drop that in yes indeed uh there's lots of slams chops and then a big power bomb by norton uh the, the action spills to the outside and they fight outside for a while uh savage uh gets slammed on the floor before he starts swinging a chair and there's a, a DQ finish before Nick Patrick takes a bit of a tumble himself, Danny. Um, this really? match here, what do you think? 
Love this. Um, I was just, as it was going on, I was thinking, have these two wrestled before? So I had to look this up. They actually wrestled on the second edition of Nitro that we uh, covered. Um, oh, okay. Not, yeah. So I think these two have very good chemistry. The second that Randy Savage uh, put his hands on um, uh, uh, Nick Patrick, did you hear the crowd reaction? Yes. Yes, indeed. Exploding. Yeah, they, it's good. They ex- yeah, they exploded. So I think they've got something there. When the time comes for Nick Patrick to get his comeuppance, that pop is going to be amazing. I mean, we've just got a tiny little tease of it there because he kind of just pushed him away. But yeah, that is something I'm really looking forward to. Okay, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's storytelling. It's not showing all of your cards at once, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. You're almost drip-feeding the audience and you're you're... I'm a big I'm a big believer in listening to the audience to see what they want but yeah. I'm also I also believe that great pro wrestling storytelling is taking on board what you think the audience might want and then reacting if you're incorrect but you need to remember you're in charge still you're trying to still steer the audience to where you want them to go and this Nick Patrick stuff there's obviously something there as you said so it's going to be interesting where we go in future weeks isn't it yeah, absolutely, mate. I just can't wait to see where it's going. Where we are going next is to a big Nitro debut. Something that has been built up and built up and built up for what feels like half my fucking life. <laughs> we have the debut of Glacier, and he is taking on Big Bubba, who was already in the ring. Danny, I'm just going to sit back now and leave this to you. Talk us through the entrance. Talk us through what you thought. Because I know you were very excited. Yeah. I mean, again, this was 1996. It's close to 30-year-old television. But you've never seen this before. And that's what I think sets our show aside when we're looking back at WCW. The fact that you're looking at a lot of this, as a big wrestling fan, a lot of this for the first time. So it's interesting hearing your reactions with regards to seeing it with fresh eyes. So I'm just going to sit back and I know how excited you were about this whole Glazier character. Talk us through the entrance, talk us through the match, talk us through what you thought. Well, to the surprise of nobody, I loved every part of this. I had to watch this twice because I watched it once without taking notes and then once with taking notes. This, it lived up to the hype for me because you had the entrance, you had, you even had snow in the entrance. What yes. wrestling show had ever had snow <laughs> in in the arena here or since I've, i don't remember any snow being in wrestling but yeah um you had the special lighting you had uh him doing glacier doing every karate move in his entrance before he even gets to the ring <laughs> then the match starts and i found that this was brilliant because i remember the first um time I saw the early matches of Kane where he had that special lighting, uh, special red lighting in the ring. This was the same case. The whole match had uh, this blue lighting and it felt, this felt important. It was like, wow, like you've set, you've set this character. Um, The biggest thing for me though was Big Bubba's bumping because he made Glacier look like a star here as well. And I think, that might be a thing that's forgotten about when you look back at Glacier's debut was how uh, hard Big Bubba Rogers was working as well. And 
yeah, the martial arts that Glacier was using were just just excellent. I think this lived up to the hype. It's very rare in wrestling, especially for a time that you're um, building up a character, that it pays off. I think Val Venus is a, is a big example of that. When they built up him with date with vignettes and everything like that, it's the very much the same here. I enjoyed this. I would give it uh, fifteen stars. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it, mate. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear the happiness and excitement in your voice. Uh, obviously, I, I don't get that reaction because i've seen it before and i know what happens and so on so yeah again this is what sets our show aside i think from other other podcasts and other shows that look back on wrestling from a nostalgia standpoint in that for you it's not always nostalgia it's first time viewing so i I love the fact that you're that excited about this it's fantastic i mean obviously glacier goes on to win with some kind of big spin kick effort Um, we better actually give the finish of the match i suppose but yeah i mean i'm a big fan of the entrance uh i'm not I'm not a massive fan of Glacier, the character uh, and the gear he's wearing. And with regards to martial arts in wrestling, I think it's very difficult to do well. But he seems to manage it to a degree here. And I don't want to say too much and take away from what we're going to be looking at in future weeks, of course. But for me, the entrance is fantastic. I mean, you mentioned snow. I think when Sting debuted in AEW, there was snow. (sighs) Yes, you're right. Is that right? You're yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that aside, I don't think there's many occasions where we've seen it. But yeah, it's just visually it's spectacular. So that's that's a great look, and it sticks in the mind. Of course, people are still talking about it, whether whether it's positively or not. People are still talking about the Glacier character to this day. So that's always intriguing for me as well. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to say once again the the work that Big Bubba Rogers was doing in this. Yes. I mean, I, I don't think you could have had a more perfect opponent than uh, uh, Bubba Rogers. He was just bumping everywhere. He, you don't want to say like, he definitely looked less than because he was supposed to, that was his job. But it was like, yeah, he, he really, really deserves um, whatever he got paid that night because he was brilliant. Mm. Indeed, indeed. Um, after this match, we have Sting coming down to the ring. No music, no intro, no no fanfare almost like he's coming down and it wasn't planned. He just walks to the ring, takes the microphone and starts talking and sting the whole time has his back to the hard camera and he's talking to the crowd and he keeps referencing the commentators and the, the, the wrestlers, the dressing room, the boys in the back and so on. And the basic gist of this whole promo by sting is that he was flying back from somewhere, Japan potentially last Monday so he couldn't have been the guy who attacked Luger. He's gutted, effectively, that everyone thought it was him, that nobody trusted him. And he says that if there are fans out there who believed in the Stinger, who believed it wasn't him, then he will stick with them. But for those fans who thought it was him, and for those commentators and wrestlers, and even friends who thought it was him, who have betrayed WCW, they can stick it. So we're starting to see a bit of a change here with Sting's attitude. He was Mr. WCW for so long, but now we're starting to see a little bit of a change. He declares himself a free agent and says, you may not see him sometimes. He'll check in every now and again. But yeah, this is a a different mindset from Sting. Now, obviously, again, I know where this is going in the coming weeks and months. 
But Danny, yourself, what did you think about this? This whole, well, not just not just the words, but the body language and the the general feeling coming from Sting in this segment. Love this because I have seen this segment, but never in full, and certainly not with the backstory of what happened before but i've seen where um this is on various wsw dvds or sting documentaries or something now that i understand the context of why he was doing what he was doing coming out not looking at the cameras um just no music and never seen the entrance before um eric bischoff's uh reaction as well was quite surprising is because he really sold this as why is Sting not looking at the camera? Why is he just saying this? these things? This was excellent, yeah. And a perfect reaction for, in kayfabe-wise, for what he'd been through for the last two weeks. Um, yeah, I thought, thought that he was very, very justified. And just, yeah, just like a harder version of Sting here as well, because he's like, you can stick it, and then just walks out, doesn't even care about music, uh, fireworks, anything like that. And, yeah, love this little bit. Did you like it? Yes, I did. I did. I mean, obviously, I know where we're heading, so it's it's yeah. important in my mindset with that aspect. But it's, I really enjoyed it as well. The little touches, not looking at the camera and the commentary, kind of explaining that later on as to why he wasn't looking at the camera. Sting, this is really interesting for me because it is that case of he feels he has been wronged by the people that he's trying to well, work for, protect, and the company he loves, and so on. And it, it is, like, emotionally, he is so hurt, he's doubling down on, effectively, what these people thought about him. He's kind of taking this thing of, they thought he was abandoning them. They thought he was not going to be there for them. They thought he wasn't with WCW. And it's hurt his feelings so much that he's going to deny, in theory, that's the way he's going to behave going forward by declaring himself a free agent and so on. It's yeah. the emotional aspect and the storytelling aspect to this is is just different level for me. And again, knowing where we've been with regards to Sting since the very first Nitro, when we've watched that way back when, our first episode of Nitro Nights, heading through all the stuff with Sting and taking on Flair and the TV title reign and then tagging with Luger and, and all this. And he mentions as well, with regards to Luger, he mentions being a babysitter. He mentions being a mediator. All of this is reference to Lex Luger because Luger debuting on the first episode of Nitro was down to sting quite famously going to Bischoff and, you know, basically pleading Luger's case. He he's out of contract. He wants a job. You know, Luger had this certain reputation of being difficult to deal with. Bischoff wasn't too keen to bring him back. Sting was the guy who acted as that mediator between Luger and Bischoff and got his friend a job back with the company. Sting was the guy who babysat Luger and made sure he behaved and got to the shows on time and didn't act in the way that Luger could sometimes behave backstage kind of arrogant to there was a level of arrogance to Lex Luger. I mean, anyone who knows anything about his career knows this and it rubs people up the wrong way. Sting very much did act as the mediator, the friend, the negotiator, the babysitter. And then he's got that very same, I mean, that's all real life, but then he's talking about his friend, obviously storyline wise, not believing him, not trusting him, thinking he's been stabbed in the back. 
and it's hurting. And I just think, you know, pro wrestling sometimes is likened to to a soap opera. I mean, I, I refer to it as you know a soap opera with body slams and chairs, whatever. But this is this is soap opera esque. This is real people's emotions affecting what we're seeing on the screen. And I just think it's fantastic writing and really well conducted and played out by the part of Sting himself. Yeah, amen. Uh, we then, then we have a random tag match. I mean, we have Ric Flair and Arn Anderson from the Horsemen, and they're taking on the random odd combination here of the still very squeaky clean white meat baby face, quite bland version of Chris Jericho. And he's tagging with Marcus Bagwell, which is, again, a bit of an odd one for me. Uh, Bagwell and Jericho high-five on the ramp a couple of times, and the second time they do it, Pyro goes off to coincide with their high-five, and Jericho looks so happy that there's Pyro, and it just comes across, I don't know, this early days version of Jericho just doesn't, in-ring, superb, but the character just shouting, yeah, come on, all the time. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work for me. No, no. I, I think the only thing about this, these two as a tag team, well, as a random tag team tonight, was their their matching waistcoats. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even down to the music, Jericho's music is so just bland, babyface. It's just like yeah. cheer for me, but why should we cheer for you? You've given us no reasons to cheer for you. Cheer for me because I'm a good guy. Yeah, but it doesn't work that way. It's 1996. It's not 1986. You know, that kind of dynamic to him. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it does. Yeah. And I mean, just him starting like this, um, I think that they put him in a tag match like this to try and possibly see where he would fit best because maybe they're having a bit of trouble. I mean, he had that great match with Chris Benwell the night before. Yes. So they're, so they're just thinking maybe he'll be better off in the tag team. I, it's, a, it's a bit of a hard one because it kind of is randomly just... I think that Scotty Riggs is injured. And okay. Yeah, I mean, that's just a... a uh, because we haven't seen him on Nitro at all for a couple of weeks now since they had that um, match with uh, Harlem Heat. And he hasn't been on in any of the Saturday nights. So him just uh, rep- being replaced by Chris Jericho is very random. Mm. Yeah, it is a really weird... There's no explanation as to why they're teaming together. It's just like, oh yeah, here comes Bagwell and Jericho. Nothing else is said. But there we go. Uh, before we get the Horseman's introduction, however, the music plays for a while and we cut backstage and we see Miss Elizabeth and she is with... Flair, Arn, and woman, and she's adamant she's not going out. She's terrified because of what happened, uh, uh, you know, the previous evening at Fall Brawl, being attacked by the NWO, spray painted, spat on, and so on. She's adamant she's not going out, and and you know, I can kind of see where she's coming from. And I thought this was really good because you have, you still have woman there, who can play the role of heel manager and interfere and do all that great stuff, but you've also got Liz who is too scared to go out so by losing Liz you don't lose anything from the match itself because women can still fulfill that role but you're also adding to the story of the NWO and their behavior by having Liz so scared she won't walk through the curtain Danny yeah yeah I mean we uh our great friend um Steve I said it last week the acting of uh Miss Elizabeth is something to be questioned but I feel I feel here she did really well in 
especially, I mean, I w- I'm shocked that she even made it to Nitro. I mean, to me, I would have kept her off television, especially the fact that she was um, in in the closing segment of the pay-per-view where she was spray-painted. I would have had it at where Ric Flair and Arn Anderson are looking backstage for her, but they can't find her. Uh, that, But then again, you wouldn't get that visual of her being afraid. So, yeah, mm. maybe they did do it right. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, as we are getting the the opening moments of this match, the entrances and so on, Sean Waltman, again, is on our cameras, on our screens, and he stands up, and he has what I thought originally was like a very old-fashioned style video recorder. Uh, that's what I thought that was, like a camcorder or a, yeah. a camera, like a really old-fashioned one. I mean, old for 96, I mean, as well. <laughs> and it turns out it's not. It's some kind of radio-controlled button operator of some description. And he presses yes. this button, and I'm thinking, well, what's he done? And my first thought was, for some reason, he's bringing a cage down. Like we saw in the WWF on occasions with the controls for the cage going up and down in the back and, and all this sort of stuff. I thought, has he got a remote control for a cage? Well, there's no cage there. So what's he doing? And then we see it. All of these A4-sized sheets of paper, pamphlets, leaflets, however you want to word them, come tumbling from the ceiling, all over the crowd, all over the ring, all over the entranceway. There is thousands of them. And it's all, again, the NWO, as Larry Zabisco references it, propaganda. What did you think of this, Danny? I love this. This was excellent mind games played by the NWO here. Um, At one point, Bobby Heenan, with the line of possibly 1996, proclaims, I wouldn't be surprised if Saddam Hussein was a member of the NWO. (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh. But this, um, I enjoyed the entire flyers coming. It seemed like, man, you had to have, yeah, at least, uh, you say thousands, I say tens of thousands because they were all over the place. And it doesn't stop, does it? It just keeps falling and falling and falling. Excellent mind games. Yeah, this was really good. It, and the visual as well. I mean, we mentioned the snow with Glacier's entrance and the blue light and so on earlier on. This visual for me is as good. All these NWO pamphlets just tumbling and people picking them up. Some people are screwing them up and throwing them into the ring. Other people are picking them up and holding them up to the cameras. It, it It's such a visual. All these bits of paper falling. Again, almost like almost like snow in a way fluttering down to the floor it, it's such as it's so simple but really spectacular yeah and it just all goes towards what's going to happen next it's like what else are the nwo going to do this is it this is it uh, on these pamphlets were shown by bischoff because he gets hold of a couple um one says we'll do tv our way another one says we beat you now you pay all the bills and it's just <laughs> snidey that again it comes back to that was cool for me yeah Walt, waltman looks cool in his jim morrison doors t-shirt leather jacket the long hair standing there looking a bit grungy and pressing the button and all these pamphlets then that spectacular visual of all these bits of paper falling to the floor it's cool the logo looks cool the messages on the bit on the paper are cool and then you look in the ring and you've got Jericho going, yeah, baby, cheer for me. And you've got Marcus Bagwell, who doesn't really know who he is yet. 
it's it's just the comparison between the NWO. I mean, you're supposed to be cheering for Jericho and Bagwell as baby faces here, but they just come across as as just geeky and nerdy and, and just nowhere near as cool as the NWO, do they? Yeah, yeah. And I just love the visual of um, Arn Anderson getting pissed off and just kicking out the flyers out of the ring. <laughs> yeah, he takes no shit, Arn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're then told on commentary that... And this was a really interesting touch, thinking about where they were planning on going and so on. Ted DiBiase, apparently, according to Eric Bischoff on commentary, the previous night at Four Brawl, Ted DiBiase approached Eric Bischoff and said, do you have a contract or do you have any bits of paper that have been signed by us to say that we have to wrestle tonight? Bischoff was like, well, no, I don't. So DiBiase said, right, we're not going to go out then basically costing the pay-per-view audience and the live attendance their, their main event, which would be catastrophic for, for the for W Studio as a business. So we're not going to go out then unless you give the NWO our own show. Now, this is kind of forgotten about, I think, a little bit with regards to the story of the NWO, because the, we, we both, you know, there's no spoiler alert here, Danny, we're, we're both aware of, how, of what happens going forward. The NWO do not get their own TV show. But... That was always the plan. And at this point in 96, there were conversations about WCW having Saturday night and NWO being Monday Nitro or vice versa. There was also conversations backstage with executives and Bischoff and Dusty and all these people that that may not be a possible viable option because you couldn't have the live show and then Saturday night was always pre-recorded. It was never live. Sometimes they'd have three or four episodes in the bank weeks ahead of time and so on. And with the nature of how Nitro was, with it being live and the reactions and what's made WCW top dog at this point in the wrestling business, a pre-recorded show would not work, especially when you've got a live Nitro that Monday night. It just wouldn't work. So the next thing was that, okay, well, if, we're gonna, if we can't go live on Saturday night, which they decided they couldn't because it was far too uh, big a task financially and so on. What about having hour one of Nitro being the WCW show and hour two being the NWO show or vice versa? So there were these conversations going on with regards to the NWO having their own show or own TV time. Is there any of that? So you've been aware of it before. I mean, we we all you know it's co- quite common knowledge that when Thunder starts up mm. uh, in in a little while's time, that Thunder was going to end up being a WCW show and Nitro was going to be the NWO show was the original plan. But again, that never really a hundred percent comes through, and 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 so on for various different reasons, which we'll cover when we get to that point. And obviously, with our NWO special episodes, which I suppose we're kind of due another one of those soon. But when when Bischoff starts talking about having to give the NWO his own show on commentary and DiBiase effectively holding WCW for ransom by saying, we're not going to go out. What were you thinking here? I was thinking, ah, DiBiase is such a bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the ultimate warrior pulled a stunt like this in real life. Um, much earlier, much years earlier than this. And I was thinking everyone slams him for that. And rightfully so. Did they get that from the ultimate warriors little stunt that he did in, uh, 89? I don't know. 
I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know, possibly. I, I'd like to think yeah. that it's inspired by something like that. That would have been quite a cool story, but I, I'm not sure. Because, I, I, would, why, I couldn't say. Why I wondered it, because on the Ultimate Warrior DVD that they did, the little self-destruction thing, I remember Ted DiBiase in, in particular criticising that. And I was thinking... Maybe he suggested this because he thought it was one of the worst things that um, he had seen before or heard about that Ultimate Warrior would do this. So why not just take something from real life and make it kayfabe? And I wish that we saw... I mean, we it was brilliant that Eric Bischoff, and he sold it very well, but it's brilliant that he's explained it. But I wish we saw a little footage of... Um, of of Teddy Biosi talking to Eric Bischoff backstage and Bischoff looking distressed. I would have loved to see that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I suppose that's the difference between what, what you've grown up watching with the WWE yeah. in, in comparison to 1996 WCW. Just Bischoff talking about it makes it feel very real because I, I, I get what you mean. Certain moments, certain skits, certain storyline um, points we want to see the footage of. But then you also ask the question, well, why is a the camera there? If this is real life, why is a the camera there? Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. Bischoff saying this happened, I think kind of adds to that realism of it, I guess. You know, yeah. rather than having a, a, a recorded segment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense, yeah. Uh, the match itself is... Fairly straightforward stuff. I mean, we, we have uh, uh, the, the usual tag exchanges early on, tags in and out, people trying to get control before Bagwell ends up beating on Ric Flair for a while. Uh, Flair drops to his knees, begging for mercy, and then grabs Bagwell's tights, falls backwards, and sends Bagwell to the outside. This allows Arn Anderson to attack on the outside. The horseman combination then work Chris Jericho's leg for a while when Jericho manages to make the tag. And then we cut to outside again, Danny, don't we? And what do we see? Outside? Well, I was going to say another limo, but it's the same limo from... Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so we see the NWO once again celebrating, and we wondered how did they get Sting's voice on uh, last week's episode of Nacho? Well, the fake Sting pulls out a very of-its-time... Uh, sort of, uh, what would you call that, a boombox type thing? Yeah, a little boombox, little personal, little, little stereo kind of effort. Yeah, yeah, it pulls it out, plays it, uh, plays the tape that they had um, pre-recorded, and I thought that was excellent because if anyone had any doubts, they've just cleared it up because I fell for it um, on last week's Nitro, and that was one of the things that convinced me was the fact that we didn't get a look inside of that limo and we saw Ted DiBiase almost looking like he was dodging someone and he was like looking up, looking sideways. Um, I thought that was brilliant and um, yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. Uh, back in the ring, Bagwell eventually gets the hot tag, um, comes in, starts clearing house, rolls up Ric Flair. But whilst the referee is distracted, woman rakes the eyes of Bagwell. He's then hit with a DDT by R. Anderson, has the figure four applied, and effectively passes out and is pinned in the figure four for the horseman to win. Classic old school four horseman heel shit. I loved it. Yeah, 
and I loved seeing Chris Jericho and Arn Anderson in the same ring. Yeah, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, two very well, just you know, talented performers, aren't they? So, yeah, and they could still do it now. Well, I don't know about Arn, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benoit and Mongo McMichael are in our main event, which comes up next, and they are taking on well, supposedly the combination of Sting and Lex Luger, but nobody knows if Sting's even there. Eventually, we got told Sting's left the building. Luger comes out alone. And this match, it, we have a phrase on this show, Danny. Yeah. Um, punchy, kicky bullshit. And I think that's what this was. It was effectively a squash match for the majority of it. Benoit and Mongo, because they are 2v1, are beating down on Luger. There's barely a wrestling hold or move to mention. It's just kind of all punchy, kicky bullshit for me. Before Luger has his little fight back, manages to try and rack Benoit, and then Flair and Anderson return and, and beat Luger dying for the DQ finish. Is, is there anything there really that I've missed? No, um, I looked at this as more of an angle than a match because mm. it was the, the payoff from uh, last night. But I did find Lex Luger just in uh, black boots and black tights a bit unsettling. Normally he's got the white boots on, doesn't he? Yes. It? <laughs> yeah, it did look a bit strange. Yeah. It did. <laughs> But no, this this to me was all about the story. It was all about the angle. Um, Sting not being there. The commentary uh, selling Sting not being there as well. And almost like, well, it was the Four Horsemen getting their revenge on Lex for let, letting them down. So that was quite interesting. Yes, indeed. And we, we, well, again, we cut to outside. There's the limo. And basically the NWO are planning for next week. They're talking about how many people are going to be absent from the WCW roster. There's only really going to be Savage there. The Steiner brothers are away and on all this sort of stuff. And, and I like this by Waltman. He sits there going, oh, Savage is going to be there. I'm the biggest, I'm his biggest fan. Can you get me tickets, champ, please? Can you get <laughs> me tickets, Hollywood, so I can go see him? That was quite good. I mean, again, though, it's yeah. just so sarky and disrespectful, but it comes off as cool. And it makes them look cool again. You know, they're in the limo in their black gear and watching TV and having a few drinks and laughing. And they're just like, just a gang of blokes having a good, having a good time, having a laugh and a joke. I want to be in that limo. I want to be out drinking with the NWO. I want to go. I want to be going to the strip club in the limousines, partying with these guys. They're cool. And then you look at the WCW side. They're not. And I think it really hurts the baby faces on the WCW side. This is what I was saying earlier. I don't know if this was done by design or just maybe WCW. Uh, because look at the semi-main event. You had um, uh, Marcus Bagwell and Chris Jericho. You can't get more cheesy babyface than that at this time. Mm. I don't know if this was done on purpose or not. But it, wherever it was, yeah, you, you're 100% dead on with it. WCW is not looking like the winners here at all no no definitely not uh well they're planning on heading to nitro next week when wwr shall we say low in numbers and that's when the show effectively goes off the air so danny we'll rate the show in our usual way our plus points and our negatives our woos and our O brothers brother 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 brothers brother brother first or second this week danny my friend i'll go first this week 
Right. Okay, bud, you crack on. To the surprise of nobody, it has to be Glacier's debut. Um, I loved this. I loved everything about it. I've talked a lot about it in this episode, so I won't go over everything. But yeah, Rue is 100% Glacier. Okay, interesting. Why? Um, my Woo this week is... It was difficult for me to decide. The two options I really wanted to go with was either the Sting promo, because I just thought it worked so well, or all the pamphlets and paper falling from the ceiling. I thought both of those were just fantastic moments. I'm probably going to edge towards the Sting promo, purely because I know from a storyline standpoint, it's very important going forward, whereas the paper was just a cool visual on that night. But I could have gone either way, Danny. I really could. Uh, your negative then, my friend. There was a lot to pick from, <laughs> but um, it would have to be the finish of um, the Ice Train DDP match because it was just a bit of a mess. I mean, it took, uh, I think I rewound it about three times to figure out what actually happened and then see who the referee was. And yeah, it would have to be that, mate. What about yours? Uh, it, I've got exactly the same. The Ice Train yeah. DDP finish It's just... It was a mess. We missed it. I can understand why missing it could add to the realism. I get that. But at the same time, it's a bit difficult when you're getting told, oh, we've got a finish in the ring, but you're looking in the car park. And then when we get the replay, the finish was shit anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> it was just all crap. It was all crap. Overall, hit, miss or middling, my friend? I'll go over hit this week, sir. Just on mainly the uh, story aspect of it, um, it re- it answered a lot of questions that were asked on the pay-per-view, especially regarding Sting, regarding the NWO. And it gave us next week to look forward to where the WCW guys are going to be away. So we've got something to look forward to as well. So, yeah, I'll give it a big hit. Yes, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm thinking this exactly the same as you. I'm thinking exactly the same as you. A big hit from me. The Sting stuff was great. Uh, the Horseman interactions and the Luger stuff was great. The, the NWO, at each moment the NWO were on screen w- was good. It was entertaining. So, yeah, it's a hit for me, my friend. Ah, there we go then. Next week, we return with the following episode of Monday Nitro. What's going to happen when the WCW guys are in Japan? Hmm. We will find out on Nitro Nights next week. But before we get there, Danny, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you and all the brilliant shows and content you are involved in, please? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about more End of Your Gold and maybe another limo segment with the great Sire Powell. <laughs> Loving the limos. <laughs> uh, uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. And that's SJP World Media. And that includes um, chain wrestling that I do on a Monday night. And the podcast version comes out later in the week. Uh, looking at Doctor Who, the Doctor Who pod. Looking at Quantum Leap, the waiting room podcast. All sorts of stuff I'm involved in. Loads of wrestling, loads of TV, and, and all that sort of stuff on that on the network. So much content on the network, it's unbelievable. Including shows that don't involve me. So if you're sick of my voice, you can go, by all means, go and check out Back When with Danny and Tyler. Brilliant nostalgia-based podcast. Looking at all sorts. Music, TV, films, sport, whatever. We have people looking at modern-day WWE. They watch, so you don't have to. And we have the awesome trio from Ohio in Yvonne, Chuck, and Josh. 
on regularly scheduled hostilities at the end of each week for us coming from the states and we also have mr benny mack who is doing in the corner looking at modern day wwe for us too uh speaking of benny mack he has another project looking at the crazy and exciting world of gaming console pc etc 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 with gaming junkies and that is available on the network as and when he does his live shows and converts them to podcast version, as well as more shows coming all the time. We have some returning shows from different creators. We have some brand new shows with different creators and so on, all coming to the network in the coming weeks, covering all sorts of different stuff and topics. I'll tell you now, we've got... Uh, let me count that quickly. One, two, three, four new shows coming up in the next few weeks. Not a single one about wrestling. So there we go. SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, and all your podcast platforms, players, and providers. So much there. So many subjects covered. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow us online. Check out the shows. Let us know what you think. But most importantly, this show itself. You can find on Facebook and Twitter via SJP World Media at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore nights make sure you're checking us a follow a subscribe and all that good stuff and get in contact with the show as well if you fancy taking a look at a particular wcw pay-per-view with us in the future or just to give us your feedback on what you're thinking with regards to uh this crazy wrestling company that seemed like it lasted much longer than it did but the few short years it gave us it was very up and down and insane indeed Danny, I have had an absolute blast. I can't wait to see what happens next week with the threadbare WCW roster and the NWO popping along for a visit, my friend. Me too, mate. I will speak to you next week, bud. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>